0: forever, not just last Sunday on Easter, but today as well, and tomorrow, and next Thursday afternoon when you don't feel like that God reigns now and forever, He's still going to be reigning forever, and so let's celebrate that together this morning. We're really grateful that you're here today. We're starting a new sermon series that I'm really excited about, I've been thinking about for longer really than I can remember, Uh, and I want to just acknowledge this morning that uh, I'm grateful that you're here This is the most important place that you could be today uh, and on any Sunday morning uh, to gather with God's people, as we've just been reminded, as we've gathered around the table to connect to each other and connect to God, and I hope that that's happened through our time in worship, and I I pray that you've been encouraged as well. If you're a guest, we want to welcome you and just say thank you. We're glad you you chose to be with us this morning. We hope you'll stick around after, after church. So, today we're starting a series called Everyday Saints, and I want to encourage you to find a Bible. Uh, We're going to be in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 in a few minutes. Uh, We're not going to be there quite yet, but we'll get there eventually. Um, I'm really excited, as I I said, to preach this series. We finished up something last Sunday on Easter uh, that we've been walking through, a journey to the resurrected Christ, a journey to the empty tomb. And today we're going to begin something new that will take us uh, over the next five or so weeks. Uh, We'll be looking at this topic, everyday saints. And so I want to ask if you would uh, just to bow with me as we as we start together. (coughs) Father, we're grateful today that we serve a king, a God, a savior uh, that is holy, that is set apart, that is different. Uh, that reigns now, that reigns forever. And we ask, God, that you'll remind us of this uh, as we gather this morning, as we are sent out from this place to live as your people here in a few minutes. Uh, I pray, God, that as we gather now around your word uh, and listen to these ancient words, that uh, our hearts will be opened and our eyes and ears will be open to receive what it is you want us to receive. Pray that you'll help us to believe uh, in faith, uh, those words that we'll study this morning, even when we don't feel like it, even when we question it, even when we doubt it, that you'll help uh, remind us through your spirit of who we are and how you see us. We pray in Christ's name and the church said, amen. So I heard a story that happened uh, years ago. Uh, it could have happened last week, but it, ha- it just so happened years that it happened years ago. There was a flight, uh, a Uni- United Airlines flight that was canceled due to some weather issues. And so everybody is, you know, how it happens if you've had that happen to you and you have a flight canceled. Everybody that's on that flight goes to the ticket counter to meet with the airline attendant uh, to reschedule their flight so they can still get home. So there's this huge crowd, you know, all these hundreds of people who were on this airplane who are now standing in line waiting to get uh, rebooked for another flight. And as they're standing in line, you know, there's the ticket counters back, you know, up there, and there's this long line. A guy that's near the, you know, kind of the back of the line uh, shouts. He says, excuse me, excuse me, and he's shouting at the employee, the airline employee that's standing there at the ticket counter, excuse me, excuse me, I need to Get on the next available flight, and I need to be in first class. So the airline employee, you know, as they're trained, I guess, to do, calmly responds, Sir, as you can see, uh, there's a large group of people in front of you. And as soon as I get all of these people booked and rescheduled and on their way, I'll take as much time as is needed to take care of you. I promise you that I'll do everything that I can to take care of you. To which the man responds, do you know who I am? And so the airline employee, who apparently had the spiritual gift of snark, (laughs) picks up the microphone and calmly announces over the intercom, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, this gentleman has apparently forgotten who he is. If anyone knows him and can help him find his identity, we would all appreciate it very much. See, this man was having an identity crisis, or he thought he was, forgetting who he was. And this morning, I want to talk about another kind of identity crisis. That is the kind of identity crisis that happens when followers of Jesus forget who they are. See, we all have what I want to call this morning a born identity, who you are when you're born into this world, your parents, your family of origin, your name. Right, the things that make up who you are. You have a born identity that's given to you at birth, that you are, you're endowed by the Creator God as a human being made in His image. That's who you are. You have a born identity. But I want to suggest this morning that as a follower of Jesus, you also have what I want to call a born-again identity. One of the ways that we see this born-again identity play out in Scripture is that God renames people, right? The the familiar story of Abraham started out as Abram is renamed Abraham, and God tells him that he's going to make him a father of many nations, gives him a new identity. This is one of the ways you see in Scripture that God gives people that born-again identity, renaming, actually changing their name. Another one is Saul, persecuting, killing Christians, and God meets him on the road to Damascus and says, you're no longer that person, now you are someone else, your name will also reflect that change. Your name will now be Paul. God renames people, and part of that process, what's happening is He's giving them a new identity. He's telling them that they are someone else that's different than they, who they used to be. And this happens with us when we are baptized in Christ. When you're baptized, you're given a new identity. You are born again. You come up a different person, even if you don't feel like it, right? Because there's nothing magic or special about the water. It's this act of submitting your life and saying that old person is gone and now a new person is here. This is reflected in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, when Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Even though you may not physically look any different there is a change that happens in you spiritually, Scripture says. This is important, I think, because you need to know that there are a bunch of names in the Bible for you that God doesn't call you anymore. Names like an enemy. Names like objects of wrath. Names like you were once darkness, but now you're light. Names like unrighteous. You were once unrighteous, and now God has given... These are words that were describing who we were prior to our relationship with Christ, prior to submit, submitting and surrendering our life to Jesus Christ. This is who we were. This, is, this was our identity. But what God calls us now is something different. What does God call us now? God calls us friends, and more, really more than friends, brothers and sisters, children, sons and daughters. God calls us objects of mercy. God calls us light. God calls us righteous. And here's the good news. This is really good news, that these things are who you are in God's eyes. This is the way that God sees you. When God looks at you, he doesn't see those former titles that used to be associated with you and who you are. In God's eyes, this is who you are In Christ, which brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 26. When Paul, again writing to this church in Corinth, says this. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him, listen to this, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who, Christ Jesus, who has become for you, for us, Wisdom from God, that is, what, you know, you're going, what does that mean, Paul? Because of him that you who are in Christ, who has become for us wisdom of God, that is, our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no, the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What Paul is saying there is that because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when God looks at you, Right? When God looks at us, he sees the work that Christ did on the cross. He sees the empty tomb, and he applies it to you and to me. So that it's as if God looks through Jesus to see us. And that's good news, friends. It is because of Jesus, Paul says, that we are who we are. God, who calls you, only calls you as he sees you today. God who calls you only calls you as he sees you today, not who you once were. Because once you get a new identity, the old one is gone. You are not that person anymore. God doesn't see you as that old person. But the truth is, we have a hard time believing this, which is why we need to spend some time thinking about it honestly over the next couple of weeks. Because I know in my own life, and I know from having spent lots of time with many of you, that we often don't wake up in the morning feeling like we are this new person that God says we are. But understanding who you are is important because it is your identity. It is, it is who you are. And in Scripture, there are, there are a lot of names that are used to describe people that follow Christians, that follow Jesus. The interesting one, the one we use the most is Christian, right? Did you know that the word Christian in, in describing people who follow Jesus is only used three times in the entire New Testament? The word we use the most is the word that's actually used the least in Scripture to describe who you are, Christian, Christian, right? It's, it's the word that's used the least, and yet in our time, in these days, it's the word that we tend to use the most. But do you know the word that is used more than any other word in the New Testament to describe us? Saint. Saint. The word is used to describe followers of Jesus more than any other word in the New Testament is the word saint. Just let that sink in for a minute. When the Bible calls you a saint, church, I can already feel some of your reactions. When the Bible calls you a saint, it is not a case of mistaken identity. Because some of you immediately when I said that word thought, no, not me. I know some people that are saints, but that ain't me. When the Bible calls you a saint, it is not a case of mistaken identity. But the the truth is, in our day and time, the word saint is not a word that we use much anymore. If you're familiar with, like, old King James translations of Scripture, it's a word that, you know, kind of is used there in that context, but it's all over whatever translation of Scripture that, it, that you read. It doesn't really matter. It's still there. And if it, but, it's, it, you know, it's not a word we use much anymore, and if it is used in our day and in, in these times, it's not always in the best ways, right? Like, oh, they're such a saint someone might say, with a hint of sarcasm or not so much of a hint of sarcasm in their voice as they talk about how perfect someone is pretending to be. But all Christians, Scripture says all Christians are saints. Now, again, this may be hard to comprehend because of the way that you think about this word or who you put on a pedestal to associate with this word. Another reason that it's a hard word to kind of comprehend and wrap our minds around is that this is a word that's often associated uh, with the Catholic Church, right? Mother Teresa might be a saint, St. Francis of Assisi. It may be a word that you associate with someone like that because they are not me. Because of how you view the word holy. How do you view this word as Being something that's not associated with you, again, something that that I think is impacted maybe more than anything else is the way we think about this word, is that this word has been impacted by, you know, coming from the Catholic tradition, and I'm not interested in critiquing the Catholic Church or that tradition this morning, but simply acknowledging, right, that most of us, many of us, when we hear that word, we might connect it to something that we know from the Catholic tradition, but it's a reality, that has impacted the way that people understand the word and thinking about how it's associated with the Catholic Church. But in this Catholic understanding, just a quick, like, really, really quick overview of that view of of this word. In this understanding of saint, as it's thought about in the Catholic Church, you cannot be a saint unless you are dead. And then, even after you're dead, like, I, I think that the reasoning for that is that, you know, they don't want anybody getting a big head while they're alive, like walking around like, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but, you know, I'm a saint, right? So they usually wait till people are dead. That's one way you can become a saint. You cannot be a saint unless you're dead in that tradition. But even then, after you've died, someone cannot consider you a saint, to be considered a saint, rather, Someone has to consider your life. This is the actual process that takes place. Someone has to consider your life worthy of consideration of being called a saint. And if someone decides that your life is worthy of being considered being called a saint, then there's this process. They examine your life, right, after you've died. They would examine your life. And if they would conclude that you are worthy, they'll turn the case over to a bishop. And the bishop will look into it and do his own examination, and if he thinks that there is some merit to this proposal that's been made about your life, he would send it to Rome, and they would do more studies, at which point someone might be called venerable, would be the word that you might have heard of before, and then they would do more studies, at which point someone could receive the title of blessed, which maybe you've heard of before, but at this point, it's when it gets kind of interesting, because to move from blessed to saint, it has to be concluded that at least two miracles occurred from people interceding through you to God after you're dead, right? Why do I say all that? To simply say this, the way we think about that word has been shaped by whether we even knew all that that I just described or not, it's been shaped by our understanding of the way that people talk about it in other contexts, right? But it's really important that you hear me say this morning that in the New Testament, not one time, is the word used like that. Not one time. Never is it used to describe someone that is special or extraordinary. Never is it used to describe someone that is special or extraordinary. Every time it's used, it is simply a word that is used to describe ordinary people who have been called righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ. Right, so what does this word even mean then, right? If you're, if you're saying this, Doug, what does the word even mean? The word saint, we learned a little Greek this morning because it's important. I don't usually do this, but it is important in this situation. The word saint comes from the Greek word hagios. I want you to say the word hagios with me. Ready? One, two, three. Hagios. All right, good. You learned Greek this morning. So this word hagios comes from the same word where we get our, our words like holy where we get our words like sanctified, right? Both words that most of you have heard before. So sometimes if you see it translated like in newer translations of the Bible, NIV, like I'm reading from this morning, it might be translated as holy people or God's people or even sanctified might be in in place. Sometimes if you were reading the Greek New Testament, the word hagios and versions of that word would show up all over the place. 230 times, I think, in the New Testament. But when it gets translated into English, sometimes it gets translated holy, sometimes it gets translated uh, God's people, uh, sometimes it gets translated sanctified, and sometimes it gets translated as saint when it's being applied to a, a person or a group of people. But it's the same word. It's the same Greek word. It simply means different. It simply means set apart And it's a word that we often, most often, maybe associate with God. We just sang songs this morning, several of them, that had the word holy, right? We sang holy, 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 this God who is other, who is set apart, right? Which we understand when we're talking about God. God is other, God is set apart. God is different. We get that. It's easy to associate it with God. Partly we do that because God uses the word as a self-description. One place where this happens is in Leviticus 19, verse 2, where this passage says, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. God speaking about God. God's identity is holy. God's identity is different. He's set apart. But it is never used in the New Testament to describe some exceptional person. just, just want you to look in case you don't believe me yet. At a couple of examples, five that I'm going to show you. There's more, but I'm just going to show you five of ways that this word is used, places that it shows up. Romans chapter 1, verse 7, where Paul writes to this church in Rome, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, just right before what we just read, to the church of God that is in Corinth. To those sanctified, same word, hagios, in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Ephesians chapter 3, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And just in case you think it's just Paul that talks about this, even in the Gospels, Matthew 27, the tombs after the resurrection, the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. So the next time you hear... Someone sort of sarcastically say to you, you know, or you're, oh, you're such a saint. Are you such a saint that, you, you know, whatever, like however they might say it, you can just smile knowing that they're right because this is who you are in Christ. In, New, in the New Testament, there are not hoops to jump through to become a saint. Uh, there is one step, and that step is accepting Jesus Christ and surrendering your life to him and being found as a born, with your born-again identity as a person who is following God. Not some special person, but a normal human being. One of the reasons that I love the way that Paul, over and over and over, starts his letters, right? the reason that I'm picking those places to, to talk and to point out that word. I think it's used, I don't even remember exactly how many times it's used, but it's used a lot. This word, saints, is used a lot. One of the reasons that I love the way that Paul uses it in the beginning of these letters to, the church, to these churches that he's writing to is because there's other places where he writes to, like, the church in Galatia, where he says, you foolish Galatians, right? He's correcting them and, and kind of, you know, exhorting them to do better, to be better than who they are because they were called to be something else. And that's what, that's what that, those verses are saying. Like, you were called to be out of that lifestyle. Don't fall back into the way that your old identity used to be who you were, but now you're a new, new person. You have a new identity. You're called to be this. Don't live in to that. Don't default to that identity, which we tend to do. These people are not special. They're normal, ordinary, everyday people. You might even call them everyday saints. So every time in our day, every time that you choose love over fear and hate, You are behaving like a saint, right? Because what it means to be a saint is to live out the calling of this new identity. Who you are in God, God is in Christ and Christ is in you. And who you are in God now is on display for the world to see. And so we act like holy people. We act like righteous people. We act like people that are trying to live into this identity that God has ascribed to us assigned to us. So every time you choose love over fear or hate, you're behaving like a saint. Every time you choose forgiveness over holding on to anger or bitterness, you are behaving like a holy person. Every time that you choose to encourage someone with a card or a hug or a text message or an email because you know that they are not who they, who they, they're not living like maybe that they were called to live, or maybe they're just having a hard day. You are acting like a holy person. Every time you choose to work hard at the job where you currently are using skills that God gave you, you are doing the work of a saint. Every time you have the courage to do that thing that has been bubbling up inside of you that you felt the nudge from the Holy Spirit to do to pursue a new opportunity that becomes available to, to you, and to be Christ in that context wherever God is calling you you are acting like a saint acts every time you extend the same mercy grace and compassion in any way in the world in a way that Christ would do that you are a, being a saint all the work that you do every day to make a difference in the lives of people around you your coworkers and family and Discipling your own children, impacting and pouring into the lives of your grandchildren. Pouring into the lives of children here at this church that you have relationships with. Serving, loving, walking humbly with your God. Holy work is all the work of a saint. This morning, the message is simply that, that you are holy. He who is is holy has called you to be holy, so be holy in all that you do, is what Scripture says. We are holy. We are saints. Of all people, right, we are saints. And sometimes you need to be reminded of this because you forget. You are more than you think. This is the first side of the coin, and next week we'll talk about the other side of the same coin. Because there are expectations, of saints we don't just behave like everybody else behaves we don't live like everybody else lives there are some expectations of saints so if if you're still not comfortable with the word and you're waiting for me to lay those on you you got to come back next week for that today i just want us to be reminded that you are more than you think you are that god has given you an identity has assigned it to you because of the work of jesus christ that you received when you accepted christ and if you haven't accepted christ and you're thinking, I don't know about this identity that you're talking about. Man, today would be a great day to celebrate and to receive that gift. To know that, that you are more than you think that you are. And that you don't have to do it on your own. The Holy Spirit can live inside of you. So, here's how we're going to apply this sermon. There's no cake this morning. For those of you who were here a couple of weeks ago, we had cake after, after church. Some of you are familiar with the idea that, like, a lot of times uh, in religious traditions, they'll, they'll, they'll create pictures of people who they assign this title of saint to. So sort of in the spirit of that idea of, the, of people who have created pictures of saints. And, and, and kind of to resist that idea that there are some people who are holy, that God is called righteous, and some people who are not, right? If you're in Christ then you have an identity that's been assigned and ascribed to you. And so, to kind of acknowledge and embrace that, here's your assignment, your homework for the week. I want you to bring a picture of yourself or your family to church next Sunday. And if you've been here on Back to School Sunday before, we, we take pictures of all of our kids and we hang those around the wall, the side walls. And we, we take those pictures and we put those on our refrigerator or somewhere in our house and we pray for those kids all school year long, right? So in the same kind of way, during this series, I want these walls to be lined with your picture and the picture of people sitting around you to remind you and me of our, of our identity in Christ. Now, it's important that you do this because if like me and a couple of the rest of you are the only ones to bring pictures and hang on the wall, it's going to get kind of awkward. Because people will come in and be like, why does Doug have a picture on the wall and nobody else has one, right? So you have to bring a picture of yourself or your family. Now, some of you might be thinking, I've known some people who I considered to be saints. My grandmother, you can bring a picture of your grandmother. If she's gone on to be with the Lord and you want to bring a picture to acknowledge the life that she lived and the impact she had on you, that's great. You can only bring her picture if you bring a picture of yourself. Because I know that what will happen, I know what's happening in you, in many of you this morning, is we are resistant to this idea that this is who we are, church. God has called you and has named you, and you, there is nothing that we can do about the identity that has been assigned and ascribed to us. And I want us to have a visual reminder on these walls over the next month that we're in this study as we look around, as you look around at each other, as you, as you connect your lives to each other, as you pass the, the trays during communion over the next month, I want you to remember who it is that you're passing a tray to. Their identity is in Christ, and they have been called holy. They've been called set apart. They've been called by God a saint. So, your assignment is to bring a picture. Don't make it awkward for me and the couple of people that do it. Bring a picture of your grandmother, bring a picture of a great-grandmother or somebody in your life that wasn't a relative that impacted you. I would love to have pictures of us and pictures of people in our lives. If you need help making copies, we can make those uh, in the office. I'm going to send out an email this week reminding you so it doesn't get awkward and only like five of us do it, but it's really up to you to help that. And if you don't remember next week or you're out of town, bring it the week after. They're going to be up on the walls. And I hope that that will be a way that it will serve as a reminder for us of who we are in Christ, that when God looks at you, He does not see who you once were. He sees who you are. May we embrace and receive this truth today, because I know I need it. And I know some of you need to hear it as well. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you see us in a new way because of the work of Christ. This feels like an important series to jump into as we lead out of Easter and it's this intentional celebration of the resurrection. And now we think about, man, what does the resurrection do? What does it mean? How does it impact our lives? And I pray this morning, God, for those who, who are hearing these words but still just cannot see themselves in the way that you see them. God, will you break their hearts? Will you open their, their eyes and their ears and help them to receive the truth of these words? God, I pray this morning that maybe there are some in this room that they are still clinging to their old identity, even though they've been given a new identity. And I pray that you'll help them to drop that old baggage in the past and begin to walk into who you call them to be, who you've called them to be. And there may be some this morning, God, that, that they just haven't surrendered their life to you yet. and So they don't really know what it is that I'm talking about, this new identity and being holy, that there is something that, that happens, right, that we don't physically change, but we are spiritually changing as we surrender our lives to you and submit our lives in the waters of baptism. God, I, I pray this morning that maybe there's someone today or in the following weeks that will come that needs to make that decision, and I pray, God, that you'll open their hearts to have the courage to, to take that step, knowing that you're going to be right there with them, that we will be right there with them. God, I pray this morning that you'll help us to receive the truth that Scripture speaks over and over and over. We are a holy people, a royal priesthood, your treasured possession, your sons and your daughters that have been set apart and called by you and known by name. We love you and we're humbled at this truth and reality, and we pray that we will live into it this week, live up to who you've called us to be, as we go out from this place. In the name of our brother and our Savior, Jesus Christ, the church said, amen. Let's stand together. This morning, we want to provide an opportunity to respond in whatever way you may need to respond. Uh, Let's do that as we sing this song together.